Do you kick printers or something? Is that why you fear the uh, <laughs> No, the I, read, I read Samuel Butler's editorial from the 1800s in Whitechapel, where he suggests that we're basically the sexual mm-hmm. organs uh, of machines mm-hmm. from an evolutionary standpoint. <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> Behold, the sword of power, Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, there's plenty of one kind of wisdom and less of another. Sparks fly and lasers prepare to fry as mutants find their matches and wishes wish they could warn humans away from bigotry and Excalibur number 89, Easy Tiger. Excalibur number 89 was originally published in September 1995, and the creative team is Warren Ellis on writing, David Williams on pencils, Mike Miller, Mike Christian, and Philip Moy on inks, Joe Rojas and Digital Chameleon on colors, Richard Starkings and Comic Craft on letters, and Suzanne Gaffney and Bob Harris on editing. So many Earths already gone, the pillars of magic are crumbling, leaving me the worst for worse. Oh, I can't get us into purgatory, but don't worry, Squire. Luckily, I know a guy. Oh, you're gonna love her. She's pretty much up for everything. <laughs> Always a pleasure to see you, Lucy. It's time. Excuse me, ladies. Seems like you're not the only ones who want a piece of me. I'll see you later. Johnny! I'd like to say it's a pleasure to see you on my earth outside my club, but it's not. Welcome back to the podcast that isn't about Pete Wisdom, but seems that way sometimes. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Anna Papard. I study and yammer about sex and gender and stuff in comics and pop culture in teaching gigs at Trent University and Brock University, plus at the Twitter account Sequential Scholars, where we are winding down threads about X-Men Revolution and planning some threads about Hellboy in the BPRD universe. Stay tuned for that. I am also Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I am perpetually here to remind you that you're totally within your rights to ignore the fact that Amanda Sefton is Kurt's foster sister. It's not relevant. Just just ignore it and, and enjoy the kissy times. We can all agree on that, hopefully. <laughs> I am joined, as always, by Mav. Please remind us of your code names. Code names. I oh wow. I wasn't expecting that. And I I'm read the sorry. script. I was <laughs> No, it's it's fine. It's just what I was trying to do this um for this particular episode, just because of something we were doing offline was I was going to introduce myself via chat GPT as as my robot overlords. Because we've done that before, that sort of thing. But like last couple of times I I just generated content and then I had the computer read it in my AI generated voice. This time I went to go tell 
ChatGPT to introduce yourself as Christopher Maverick. And it says, I'm sorry, but as an AI language model, I cannot introduce myself as a specific person such as Christopher Maverick. However, I can tell you that I'm ChatGPT language. And so basically it absolutely refuses to. And I find that I find that encouraging. I, I am no longer worried about the robot overlords taking, you know, it has ethics. It's just decided that it doesn't want to be me. And that's nice. It's it's nice. Um, I do wish that sometimes like when I've had a long day of teaching that like maybe it would come teach a class for me. That'd be neat. People are worried mm -hmm. about that sort of thing. I'm thinking the other way. I'm like, yeah. What if it could just you know do my work for me every once in a while? That'd be nice. Isn't that what we've always wanted robots for? I don't know. Wouldn't it just be like being Madrix and you could have dupes out there doing your jobs for you? It seems great. What's the downside? Right. No Wouldn't downside. Literally no downside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> hi, I'm Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav. And I, I host this show and another one called Vox Podcast. And, you know, if you're wondering more about me, you know, we've got like a hundred and some odd episodes. You can just go listen to last week or probably next week. Yeah. <laughs> go listen to the previous hundred or whatever is this our hundredth episode oh my god i, I don't know which I, one it was i don't i don't know what number we're on i just i just i just guessed so this is issue 89 but we've done some specials so we've got to be pretty close to 100 if we're if we i think this is i think this is 99 and i think yeah. next next course, episode is 100 which we totally did not mention because we've already recorded no. next episode <laughs> no we didn't <laughs> we have some other fun stuff in the pipeline though we'll pretend that's the celebration um mm -hmm. anyway uh andrew uh please relay your surprising origin it's not um one day the son of a tobacco farmer met the daughter of a different tobacco farmer and moved to northern canada the result is dr j andrew Devan, a faculty lecturer at saint jerome's and is that true scholars yeah totally that's kind of awesome i i, I mean i i would yeah, call sure it that's... Yeah. <laughs> i could i could make it work i i'm thinking like you know <laughs> prestige oscar piece i can totally make that happen yeah i mean we totally hijacked your intro but i was gonna say have you seen the troy donahue movie parish which is about tobacco farmers and it's a sexy no. young love coming of age story and you should definitely watch it see i was thinking prairie fiction which is about people who go up to like the cold Arctic climate type thing and suffer emotionally and physically. Maybe it could be that. <laughs> At any rate, I'm happy to be here and excited to see what entirely new type of character Megan is this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's so exciting getting introduced to a new Megan every couple of issues. We'll talk about the new one. <laughs> that will happen today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are joined this week by an ultra fabulous returning guest who last joined us while Alan Davis was still darkening our door. The pod is overjoyed to welcome back Nicole Frime. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. Glad to be back. I'll give you a little bio to remind our listeners of what you get up to. Nicole Frime is an associate professor at Southwestern Oregon Community College, where she teaches literature, creative writing, composition, and mythology. She's been involved with the Popular Culture Association since 1997, spending 16 or 17, everything is hazy with pandemic time, <laughs> years as the area chair for comics and comic art. She's currently also the VP for area chairs and programming and the default co-chair for a bunch of other areas. Very involved over there. She's on the editorial board of the International Journal of of comic art and has published articles on topics like Wonder Woman, Justice League, Lois and Clark, and Supernatural. Basically, she's an all-around pop culture nerd and an aspiring polymath, and it sounds like you're well on your way. What a cool, tell me Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
fiery twitter oh yes that is mm-hmm. i've seen that out in the wild <laughs> now nicole we already did your comics origin story back when you joined us for excalibur 49 um, and everyone should absolutely go listen to that episode if they haven't already but i thought i would ask you for your thoughts on 90s comics and your experiences with 90s comics because i don't think we had occasion to talk about that last time so i'm curious were you a comics reader during this era i think it might have come up a little bit because I talked about how I, I read comics when I was younger and then I got back into them in college through my roommate's boyfriend left a copy of The Crow in our room. Ah, oh, that's right. That's I right. picked it up. And so I hadn't been reading comics during the during the 80s. So I, I missed being there as the whole Watchmen, Dark Knight, angst, dystopian flavor took over comics. So when I picked up The Crow and I was like, oh, wow, comics can do this. And I got back into it and... I started really getting into it about mid 90s. So I was like, I was, I was reading when we got Kyle Rayner. I am a huge Kyle Rayner fan. I will fight anybody who says that he is not a good Green Lantern. <laughs> Seriously. I'm still friends with her, even though she's wrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. We're going to have to throw that at some point. Anyway. And, you know, ditto for Connor Hawk, etc. cetera. And um, so I was really into it in the 90s and early 2000s and reading a lot of things like you know the whole marvel lending out their characters for a year and then hey we're getting them back and you know heroes were born etc etc i mean i was trying to get you to the pertinent question of is this your first contact with pete wisdom or had you previously been aware of this character (laughs) i i actually had not I had not. Oh. Um, I, I I mean, I knew, I know most of the other characters, but mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. Pete Wisdom. I have, uh, yes, I, I understand that there are some differing opinions on the gentleman. Well, I'm <laughs> going to be very curious to hear your opinions on him, you know, as someone who's coming to him coming to him fresh but um yeah that's an interesting time for you to get into comics i mean we've had so many conversations on the pod about kind of the extreme 90s era but by 1995 that's changing you know and i mean we see that very much with sort of the art style on this book which is not that style at all i don't know let's get into it let's do an issue summary and then i'll come back for your for your thoughts on this issue in particular okay i know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod we definitely fall in love with you if we teamed up to break into a top secret black air facility if it's enough to get kitty pride to fall for Pete Wisdom, anything's possible. As a token of our impending love, here's a handy plot summary. Excalibur number 89 opens at a pub in Soho where Kitty Pride and Pete Wisdom catch us up on the plot of the last issue. Pete thinks Kitty, I mean Pride, is okay for a nosy cow. Pride doesn't like Pete. She really doesn't like him. One of Pete's spy associates, Jardine, reveals some important info about Dream Nails, saying it exists under the file cover of Easy Tiger. She suggests they come back to his office. Meanwhile, at Muir Island, Amanda arrives in a chorus of pink bubbles to fall into an embrace with her beau, Mr. Kurt Wagner. They proceed into a walk and talk where Amanda asks how everyone's doing and Kurt confesses they're lousy while catching up Amanda on the events in Genosha and Excalibur's reluctant partnership with Black Air. Kurt also informs Amanda that Rory has been psychoanalyzing Spore. Amanda, who's seen a glimpse of Rory's future, is concerned, but doesn't tell Kurt, having been sworn to secrecy. Rory is also doing lousy, but not as lousy as Spore, who gets to contend with Rory, who's super mellowed out on mood stabilizers, but doesn't seem that mellow to me, taunting him about his father killing his mother 
there. Super fun guy. Back in London, Pete and Kitty have made it to Jardine's office and find out that Easy Tiger is code for E.T. as an extraterrestrial. Black Air continues to be the most smart and secret spy organization of all time. (laughs) When Pete goes to the loo, Kitty asks Jardine why he's helping them, opening the door for some backstory on the good stuff Pete's done, which he does because it needed doing. Back on Muir Island, Moira McTaggart is picking at emotional scabs regarding the legacy virus, but is thankfully interrupted by Douglock and Megan. Megan tells Moira that since her powers are directly tied to nature, she is sensitive to patterns and cycles. So Douglock, on account of being a robot, Megan smiles as she reveals to Moira that there is no pattern to how the legacy virus infects anyone. Meanwhile, Kitty and Pete arrive at the Dream Nails base in the Midnight Runner to do some spy shenanigans. They find out that Cully died from exposure to an alien bacteria. They're eventually attacked by Black Air agents who threaten to kill Pete if Kitty doesn't surrender. Kitty is reluctant to leave Pete, but finally phases through the floor. The last thing she sees is the guards knocking Wisdom out. So Nicole, you're coming in fresh to the Pete Wisdom, to the Kitty Pride and Pete Wisdom relationship. What were your first impressions of this comic book? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Were you intrigued by the spy caper? I actually tend to really like the spy capers and the the bickering duos. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're it's such a classic, uh, such a classic thing. So I, you know, that part worked for me. I know you mentioned sort of a little bit Excalibur does X-Files. So it reminded me of that. It reminded me of um, various shows because I'm thinking of for the time, right? We had things like Remington Steel and Moonlighting and other comics like The Maze Agency sort of stuck out to me. The enemies to lovers trope here seemed, yes. let's just say awfully quick. <laughs> In fact, yeah. um, it, it kind of actually gave me a little bit of an echo, a bad twitch of the whole both our moms are named Martha thing because, oh, <laughs> he's Peter and my last boyfriend was Peter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and her next one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can Two. understand. I went through a period of time in high school where I dated like four different Daves. But <laughs> oh. she, she does date four Peters. And that is a thing that she does. So <laughs> she has a type. I, I don't know. I'm sure we'll get it more into to Pete. Um, I can hold my thoughts on that if we're getting to that <laughs> yeah. later. I do I do want to talk more about Pete, but since you brought up Revington Steel and I know you know Lucifer a little bit. Mm-hmm. On a previous episode, yes. I brought up my radical theory that Remington Steele and Lucifer are basically the same TV show. <laughs> Thoughts, Nicole? <laughs> that is delightful. Yes. I I I'm, think it's super apt. Yes. And, you know, I'm with you. I love Lucifer. I think I, I love that show. <laughs> it is not a perfect show. No. But <laughs> it's just so much fun. That's why it's so enjoyable is because Tom Ellis is just clearly mm. is having so much fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. enjoyable. So I, I can <laughs> I can actually see that. I could see that, like, in one of his previous visits to, to L.A., he was playing on Remington Steel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could do that crossover fanfic. I was we could say, team up. I think there's fanfic there. <laughs> Let's do some other first impressions before we get too distracted on this delightful tangent. Um, <laughs> Andrew, how are you feeling about this one? Okay, I, like there are elements of it that I find amusing that I'm not supposed to find amusing. I, oh, Rory's grasp of psychotherapy yes. is delightful <laughs> in this. Like, like the best part of the book. Um, oh. the co- I like the cover. The cover's very nice. Uh, oh. and I think there's some good like little elements to the scenes. I, I still like. I find the emotionally repressed bad boy with a heart of gold thing genuinely mm. creepy 
and the way that misogyny is a bonding technique uh, in this X-Files adventure, not super on board with, but I get it. So I think there's like pieces here that I like on the whole. I'm kind of in the meh category, I guess. I feel like we've been encountering sort of on Twitter and among our listeners, some people that respond really badly to Pete Wisdom from sort of a toxic masculinity perspective, like, you know, like men responding really badly to him. And I find that interesting because it's like, <laughs> just like, I know this type of guy. He's a bad guy. I don't like it. I don't want to <laughs> have a good opinion of this guy. And I feel you. I feel you. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. He seems Thank almost you. echoey of Constantine to me. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. But I can't, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. He appears, at least at first glance, to be more of a jerk than John. <laughs> hmm. Or perhaps a different flavor of jerk. I never really thought of, of John as being sexist, whereas yeah. he manages to be pretty sexist. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean... And so that, I think, to me, is part of what makes him a little less appealing is that like like Andrew said sort of the bad boy with you know who who just needs the right person to reform him yeah it is <laughs> is one thing but he's a little he's so jerky i mean granted he's saying some of this stuff in his head not to her so okay but the sexism yeah is a little bit a little <laughs> you know careful don't step in the sexism yeah <laughs> it's spilled everywhere yeah yeah, I could see that because when I think about the jerkiness of Constantine, it's like, I don't know, it's more like he's a jerk to people who deserve it, whereas Pete's a jerk to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> like, mm, mm. I, I, yeah, that's that comparison is not coming across favorably now that you mentioned that aspect of it. <laughs> I've been I've been trying to be like a supporter of Pete just because like I'm excited to have a new thing to talk about in the book. And I don't know. There's a number of individual contextless panels between Kitty and Pete that if I ignore who Pete is as a character, I'm here for it. Yes. But it takes a lot of mental massaging for me to get there. Mm -hmm. um, how about you, Mav? How did you feel about this one? Largely okay. It's not an issue that I, I think stands out. It's uh, it's it's got um, it's got middle issue of a trilogy syndrome going on very well. I like David Williams' artwork a lot. Yeah, I have issues with some things that he does here where I'm like, eh, I, I don't like that choice. Most most no notably it's kitty's mask i don't think that costume should ever have a mask and i i know they were trying a thing and i just think it's stupid it's stupid in from a storytelling point of view because she doesn't really have a secret identity anymore and like she's just around pete the entire time who knows who she is so it, it's it's weird but um beyond that i like pete better here because i'm learning to like pete whereas nicole's like just sort of jumping in on pete i've had him for like four or five issues now and like i'm like oh He's, he's becoming more likable than what he was before. Is he great? Not yet. I think he'll get there. I also have the benefit of, you know, future sight. But, like, it very much is a, okay, this is a story. Nothing super offensive happens here. Um, <laughs> like that, that's where I'm at. Oh, oh, so wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's... Yeah, there's a story being told. I am intrigued by the story. Um, and I like the artwork. So, you know, solid B, B plus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the artwork makes it fun. I mean, 
the cartoony style, the kind of comedy stylings of Pete in particular. He's doing a lot of like good, funny reaction faces to lots of mm -hmm. good, like chagrined expressions throughout the comic that I think makes him more likable because he feels less toxic and more goofily pathetic, which is <laughs> a vibe I can get behind a little bit more. But there definitely isn't that. I'm still missing that thing with him of like why I should feel bad for him. You know what I mean? Oh, because no, like I, if yeah. somebody's if somebody's gonna be an asshole. I don't know. We already brought up the Lucifer thing. So I just like, well, like, yeah, Lucifer's like an asshole, but he's an asshole because he suffered in hell for eons. And I can sort of get why that would turn you into kind of an asshole mm -hmm. and I can feel bad for you. But like, what's Pete's excuse? And we're going to get a little bit of that in some future issues, but it, for me, it's it's never quite going to be enough. His excuses, I mean, and I've said this on previous episodes, the 90s happened and he's doing some I 90s know. here. Yes. You know, <laughs> Pete, so... Nicole, you even said, you know, is he more of a jerk than Constantine or less? I mean, it doesn't matter because Pete's entire character up until last issue was it's the 90s and I have a trench coat. That's all we knew about him. And now and we are like <laughs> trying to build a character on top of, you know, the tropes he's. Yeah, I mean, and it's very much a you know you you've you've read about Constantine, you you've read about Gambit, you know how this works. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. like what I know about him. And now we're trying to like make him interesting. And this is a this episode, last episode. Th there's clearly a, a a romance building with Kitty. He can't be perfect for her because that's no story. He's reasonably problematic to where there can be an interesting story. Like, I don't want her to just meet a knight in shining armor who just, like, matches her perfectly. Um, I know yeah. some, some listeners might want that, but that would bore me. Whereas here, it's like, okay, yeah, here's a guy who's kind of broken. Maybe she can fix him or probably not, but maybe she can uh -huh. interestingly fail, fail at trying, right? Like, like I mean, I'm not saying, like, yeah. in real life, I would try to, if, if she were really my friend, <laughs> you might say something, but she's not. She's a character right. in a comic book. And I, and, like, it's very telegraphed. This comic does the will they or won't they kiss because their lips are you know uh, half a centimeter apart but like they never quite kiss in it moment which in real life if you've ever gotten your lips that close to a person and not kissed that would be really <laughs> weird <laughs> you know so it's got it's got those things happening and i'm like okay i i can i can do this for a dozen issues sure <laughs> that's where yeah. i'm at with it like, it's just that fine. this issue is playing on my knowledge of tropes that i enjoy very successfully right. in a way that like i want to buy in i'm like oh mm. a spy caper and oh their lips got so close because they were on the True. spy caper and they were doing the thing together and they're holding hands and running through the top secret facility i'm like i'm in oh, wait no what am i doing it's like my emotions are replicating kitties in this issue <laughs> i got but confused but there's no story. It's just the tropes. They're giving you the stuff that you're mm -hmm. that you recognize. Right. Again, he doesn't really have a character. He has a trench coat and floppy hair. Well, that's it. They that's try. You know they try to give him a character, but it's the stereotypical. You know, yeah. the, underneath it all, he cares. He does what yeah. needs doing because he's actually really a good man, which is just like Constantine and Gambit and mm -hmm. you know all those other guys in the trench coat. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> We've seen this. Mm -hmm. Well, let me come back to the kind of comparing to other things question. Like, I mean, we did talk about X-Files a little bit in the last episode, but not too much. Like, I mean, did you see kind of a Mulder Scully dynamic with these characters, Nicole? Like, can you see them borrowing from that a little bit? I mean, I find the dynamic quite different in a lot of ways, but like, are there ways that you can see it borrowing that at all? 
maybe a little. I mean, I you know, they they run into those, you know, the aliens and that sort of, you know, the thing. But the thing is is that the what what really makes the you know, Mulder and Scully work is that they come at the problem from these different angles. Whereas yeah, in this, yeah, right. they're both mutants. They've both experienced all sorts of really wild outlandish things. So when, when it's like, oh, hey, you know, in the, I, I'm sorry, I guess it's the next issue when Kitty's talking to the alien. It, I mean, it's not like, oh my God, there are aliens. It's, mm-hmm. oh, hey, aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, like if anything, he's often the one that's put on his heels by her knowledge of all this right. weird stuff. I mean, they're trying, I think they're trying to go for it maybe a little bit. I don't think they're quite getting there very well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, that's an element of like whether we're going to buy into this relationship or not. Like, is the way that these two characters play off of each other appealing enough that we want to see more of it, mm-hmm. right? Like I, <laughs> like, I brought up in the last episode that, like, the only X-Files I remembered was this episode where they kiss on the Titanic. I was wrong about it being the Titanic, but there was Bermuda a back triangle. in time. Yeah, Bermuda I triangle. I went and found it. Because, like, you, were, <laughs> yeah. you, talked about, you talked about it. I'm like, I'm a fan. I've seen every episode of this show. What is she talking about? You mean the Bermuda Triangle episode? And I'm like, yeah, yes, yeah. okay, I know what you're talking about. All right. But, like, I watched a clip of it to insert it into the episode. And, like, I was like, oh, right. This is who Mulder is. I was just never a fan of, I don't know, that way that he has about him. Like, even in the clip that I did, he was like, I can't stay. I have to get back to history. And you're just like, why are you such a dick? Like, he just has that dickish way of talking. And I'm like, I don't know. I find Duchovny attractive, but I just never signed up for that character the way he is, where he's always explaining things. And I don't know. That was sort of a thing that I found myself thinking about in terms of comparing these two Mm -hmm. things, even though the characters are are very, very different. But still, that is a particular male character that I never went for. But I I didn't either. So I'm I'm with you. There you go. (laughs) Solidarity. But I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll kick it back to you, Andrew and Mav. Like, in terms of the development of this relationship, like, do you find it interesting that the way that they're playing off each other here? I mean, I'll come to you first, Andrew, since you're a hater on Pete, and I feel that this is going to become your new brand on the show, and I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally, he deserves it. I'm totally fine with it. But like, I mean, how did you feel about kind of the development of the relationship between these characters here? I mean, are you buying it at all? Um, Yeah, no, I, I think it's a tried and true dynamic. I, I do think there's pieces of Mulder and Scully in it, particularly the idea of the sort of gross worldly man and the detached intellectual skeptic. And there's ways in which that's a very gendered interpretation too. We see it in a lot of like um, um, Disney movies, like Tangled, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So it works. There's no question. It strikes a chord. And I, I think it's working well here, exactly as you said, Anna. It, it's it's hitting the trope buttons really, really well. So if you if you like this trope, I, I think it's a question of execution of it. Um, and I don't know, I, I think Ellis does it quite effectively, actually. Yeah, I mean, what's your take on it, Mav? Like, I mean, you already said a little bit about it, but yeah. like I don't know. This is like, this is the the issue where we're sort of yeah. getting their banter come to the fore and we're either going to buy it or we're not. And that's all this is. Ellis is a talented enough writer to do the trope. Nothing happens in this issue that you cannot predict. This is a by the numbers. They didn't like each other in when, when the mission started and now they're growing and, the, you know, they have to go off and do a thing. They're doing a caper. They got a heist. They got a mission that's just the two of them and they 
you know, they grow a grudging respect for each other. She sees that he's got a heart of gold at the end, you know, where he's mm -hmm. like willing to sacrifice himself. You know, they have their moment where they almost kiss. And it's literally just these are the tropes. And this is why you fall in love with someone. The reason, you know, like if you've never fallen in love before, try going on a heist, try going on a government mission. And, you know, <laughs> and and like you'll, you'll just hook up with somebody. That's like the thing that like that fiction teaches us. And it, and it really is. I mean, I keep harping on the trench coat, but that's what he is. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because in all seriousness, I kind of enjoyed this. It is vapid and empty, but that's kind of okay because it's a trope for a reason. It's, it is an enjoyable storyline that I like seeing her go through the paces of. And then I just want to point out something that, that, is, that matters specifically for our show. This is new for her. Kitty has 30-something years. Mm -hmm almost 30 years at this point, not quite, of being a little girl in comics. And this is her transition to where she gets to be a grown woman. And that matters, right? Like she's a little girl who's constantly put into grown-up situations because ever since she's a 13, she's been she's been running around with an adult superhero team. But like here she is, the issue here is not that Kitty is a child. The issue on this mission is more that they're just kind of they got dirt they have different personalities and they have to learn to mesh them together pete doesn't yeah. like like her because she's a stupid kid i mean K pete doesn't or doesn't not like her because she's a stupid yeah, kid. yeah, yeah. that's not the issue he's yeah. he's irritated by her because she's kind of a brainy know-it-all and, and he and she's irritated by him because he's brash and like you said like you said nicole it's the moonlighting dynamic right like and that's fine kitty can do the moonlighting dynamic i loved moonlighting i loved remington steel you know like i like these shows that are that it's biting off of i'm i was a fan of so sure we could do one of those i mean the dynamic of it that i do like is how i don't know i mean the gender stuff doesn't work simply in any story and not in this one either but i do like how it's sort of kitty in the active role you know she's the one who's kind of doing a lot of the physical things even though pete still has powers and use whips out his hot knives at the end which are very phallic and all of those things so we've mentioned especially that when you say it like that but <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but anyway but still she's sort of the one that's doing a lot of the physical stuff and i mean you know her intelligence is very inevitant in evidence here too but she's the one flying the plane she's the one doing the physical stuff of getting them into the base and then he's the one that applies a little bit of spy intelligence to it and it i don't know it reminded me of a, a line that i i love from my beloved burn notice where like the michael weston character says of like him and fiona you know like my brains and your brawn yes and it's such a cute yes. little little line because mm -hmm. you know that's sort of their dynamic and it's playing on that and there's a little bit of that here that I did find appealing like anytime you're going to have sort of a romance where we're going to play with gender just enough that you can insert yourself into it in complex ways I'm going to be a little bit more on board with it than it just being I mean if this was some damsel in distress story or something I definitely wouldn't be on board but that isn't the story right it is a story of you know mm -hmm. what are Kitty's skills what are his skills and they have interesting you know, not necessarily stereotypically gendered skills, even though there's a lot of stereotypical gendery stuff in terms of, oh, Pete is the stoic guy who is how he is because he has that heart of gold and like she has to appreciate that about him and blah, blah, blah. And she's going to fix him and blah, blah, blah. So there is that element to it. But still, I did like that Kitty was sort of the physical one and he's sort of running to keep up with her sort of throughout the issue. I did like that dynamic. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was actually um, the incorporation of 
Kitty's power set. The idea mm-hmm. of how Pete's slowly learning to appreciate the value of phasing, almost as a mm. metaphor for appreciating Kitty as a person or perceiving her as a romantic interest. I thought that mm-hmm. was cool. And I thought that actually intersects with some of Anna's work on um, like sex and superhero comics and how the power set can be integrated into um, um, character relationship dynamics. Ooh. Also, also it's very symbolic of, you know, changing him that she's got to be touching him oh, yeah, to yeah. phase him through and to bring him to a different place exactly mm-hmm. it also necessarily means they have to hold hands it's i mean just from a from a character mm-hmm. dynamic they're, they're holding hands constantly which is an intimacy thing but that's just because that's the way her power that's the way her power works but this is not just kitty touching somebody this is them holding you know from the second they grasp hands they're holding hands and they're working as a team you know in a partnership kind of way partnership where she's dragging him along which gives her a sense of agency but also just the fact that they are you know we're together here we're going to we're going to do this as a as a romantic and intimate moment so it works. Oh my God. I like that interpretation of it. It hadn't occurred to me how physical that bond is as they're moving through the base, but you're right. It isn't just holding hands. She's affecting his entire body chemistry or whoever you want to say that by phasing him throughout it. And that is an mm-hmm. interesting added element of it. And it's interesting him having the revelation of that experience too, because he's got that distrust of superheroes. He's reluctant to use his own powers. So him doing that with her does feel significant. Oh, I sort of like that. Thank you, Andrew. See, Andrew, Andrew, you you claim to hate Pete, and now you're selling me on it through your interpretation <laughs> of the comic. I just I keep going back and forth. I'm losing the battle. Oh jeez, <laughs> you use use my own work against me. That's what you did. <laughs> we can still talk more about about Kitty and Pete if we want, but let's talk about the Kurt and Amanda of it all a little bit because we got a scene with them here. They're the cover of the issue, and I'm not sure why. With them. This... I yeah. know. The... They did not earn the yeah. They did not earn the cover with their place in this story. I I like Amanda. I like Kurt. They got two pages in this book, and you you see more of the kiss on the cover than I mean. Yes, they they do kiss for a panel in this story because you know she shows up and it's his girlfriend, and I haven't seen you in a while, so let's kiss. All right, that's over with. Let's move on. This is not this is not a book about them kissing. And I am curious to see more of that storyline and we've not been getting it i under uh, we've done episodes again before before and i don't want to rehash the entire i understand why people don't like amanda but she's here and if she's going to be here i do like her and i want to invest in their relationship more than i think ellis is giving me the ability to and i think that's unfortunate because there's a good four pages four or five pages of rory here that we could have just like you know (laughs) slid right over so <laughs> uh, yeah, I get very much the feel that it was probably edit. Well, we know it was editorially mandated that Amanda joined the team and Ellis doesn't know what to do with this character. You know, the scene feels like it's just here, but I don't know that the dynamic feels like them as it had been established previously. It feels generic in a way that doesn't feel particular. And mm-hmm. it's very nicely rendered. I think the visuals are lovely. Mm-hmm. I, I like it as a as a visual. I page, like how William but, Strasser. Mm-hmm, yeah. God, no, I've got no complaint there, but the the question I had about it is like, is Amanda currently on the team? Like, what is she doing when she's away for these long stretches? Is she working as a flight attendant or is <laughs> yeah, she doing but... magic stuff? Both. Yeah, I go with both. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
she's a very busy person you know it's like she's she's kind of i like to think that think that she's kind of an adjunct superhero you know so mm. so she doesn't you know she's not making enough to be on the team full time so she's got to supplement her income going off and being a sorceress and going off and doing flight attendant things she's got three jobs and you know so she's she's there when she can be that's it well i guess i just was always curious about how it feeds into my interpretation of them having an open relationship because it seems like she's off kind of having her own life and then they kind of she'll come back and they hook up for a bit and then she's gone again and Kurt flirts with lots of people all the time too so it just reads very much like that to me like mm -hmm. it's like they're always kind of flirty and booty collie but they don't feel like they're in a quote-unquote traditional domestic relationship in a lot of ways and I don't know whether that's just me wanting to read it that way or what but she's always disappearing and coming back and they're not spending a lot of you know time together other than the moments where they come back and kiss so I don't know yeah, I think that's a valid re reading of the character of Kurt and the character of Amanda and their relationship together as a whole over 40 years of comics. I don't know that it's a a particularly valid re reading for this. I don't know how, how long she's been, been around, like 10 issues for this, um, this arc that she's on currently, because mm -hmm. I don't think Ellis or I guess Labdell brought her in I, who brought her in was it I, who did Ellis bring her in I don't remember exactly it was, when it she was showed still up. it was still Labdell yeah yeah, I don't think either of them care enough about her to sort of establish that. Kurt's not the main character right now. Kurt used to be the main character, but he's not right now. If anybody, Kitty and, and Pete are the main characters, not just for this issue, but of the book right now for the last couple of issues and the next few to come out, you know, like Kurt isn't super important. And Amanda's place in the world right now is that she's Kurt's girlfriend. So what does she do when she's not here? She ceases to exist. And that's kind of unfortunate because I really like the character, which is, again, why I want to see four more pages of their story in this issue rather yeah. than four pages of Rory, who I do not like. Yeah, it's fu it's funny, though, because there's almost a reading I can do of it where Kurt's here to be amanda's boyfriend because she's more important to the ongoing story than he is right mm -hmm. now because right. she's the one who's got the information about rory whereas kurt is mm -hmm. largely ancillary to this entire story so yeah. it's almost the other way around you know what i mean yeah but and neither i'm not, I'm not complaining yeah. that's fine yeah. i would totally I read an amanda sefton comic where he just shows mm -hmm. up as her sometimes 100%. boyfriend i'd be all over that <laughs> great mm -hmm. role for him i don't know did you oh have takes on the on this relationship oh what mav i just went and counted rory's only on two issues two pages of this issue it it feels like 40. It's, it feels like serious? a lot. I know. <laughs> yeah. I just went through and counted. He's on, he's on exactly two pages. He's only How two. Is though. I don't know. It's only two. <laughs> it's like, oh God. <laughs> well, it could also be because if you read the other one in close conjunction. Yeah. You all, I, and I have, but that's not, I, it just feels like this took up way more time than it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's two pages. That is strange. Wow. Oh, I, I want to talk about the Rory thing and why it's messed up and hilarious, but uh, I wanted to give Nicole a chance to, to talk about these Kurt and Amanda pages, if you would like. Like, is Amanda a character that you're familiar with at all, Nicole? Uh, vaguely vaguely I'm still kind of laughing over you know Mav saying she's got three other jobs because now in my mind she's um she's like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders who only make 50 bucks a game so have to have other jobs outside of <laughs> or adjunct or yeah. adjunct professor yes. um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, she's just like me so yeah I I too was a little surprised because like you said they're on the cover and then oh, okay but it's not about them 
but I was more, what is going on with Rory? I mean, seriously. Well, we can talk about it. All right. Let's talk about the, what are your Rory thoughts, uh, uh, Nicole? Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I mean, is this like, this is just a completely made up context of quote unquote treatment, I think, because this is certainly not something I'm aware of. <laughs> But anyway, what were your thoughts I mean, on it, Nicole? Drugging yourself so you can treat somebody? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, no, that's not a thing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> she's worried he's going to turn evil. And I'm looking at him like, okay, he's evil now. I mean, mm-hmm. he is. You, even just some of the panels, the way he's, the way his facial expressions and the sort of uh, sneers and the evil, you know, like the tilts to his, to his smirk and his eyes. And there's that one panel where he's sort of shouting and his mouth is open and sort of the bottom jaw is jutting out a little. And it just looks so, yeah, like very villainy to me. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially when you contrast it to the person he's supposedly in quote interrogating, right? Oh no, I'm sorry, not interrogating, psychoanalyzing, right? Which mm-hmm. is traditionally <laughs> to help the person. And so you've got on one side of the page, he's looking all like I'm evil, you know, and I like it. And on the other one, the guy is slowly getting more and more this pathetic, oh dear God, look on his face. And it's like Yeah. Okay, I haven't read the rest of the series, but yeah, this guy's totally going evil. Yeah, we've we've had that. That is his predicted future: is to be an evil mutant hunter torturer. So he's well on the path of that. I mean, the thing I find hilarious about it, and this is like a thing that happens all the time in comics and in X Men comics, plenty. It's like their friend is clearly going off the rails, and nobody notices or cares or says anything. <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, you can build this laser room to torture this guy on mood stabilizers. That seems fine." I mean, I they all live in this confined base you think someone's aware of this yeah. I, I think Murr Island's bigger and I think I think you're very generously using the word friend here to yeah. refer to Rory yeah. Yeah. it's like Rory he's a guy he's there's never been a reason for anybody to care about I mean like I the re, the problem with the with the reader having no reason to care about him is no one on the team cares about him Amanda's mm-hmm. like oh you know maybe don't go evil that one time and that's like the only humanization that he's had even when Rachel was around like we all rejected the Rachel kiss and I don't think it's just the I don't think the rejection of the Rachel kiss is just because you want Rachel with somebody else the rejection of him wanting to be with Rachel is who is this dude and why do we care and and now she's gone and has been gone for quite some time and he's literally done nothing he is a waste of space on on panel and again apparently only two pages that we could have done something more interesting with so okay did, yeah. that's his problem. did anybody else look at that pan look at that like laser grid and be like read i was sort of waiting for spore to start doing like the Catherine zeta jones climbing over the laser thing <laughs> which would have been disturbing but funny <laughs> am i the only person who remembers yeah, that movie? I like, yeah no, no, I remember. No, no. oh entrapment entrapment very good entrapment with Catherine zeta jones and, and yeah and sean connery fine fine film of course i remember okay. entrapment it's you know in that it was a movie that was made and therefore i know it. <laughs> <laughs> i know i've seen it it's been a yeah, while you, you, you're not missing it. No, i did i did i did like it as a visual motif i mean it's rendered well you know the way the the laser stripes across them sort of heightens the emotional tension and it sort of evokes the connection between the two of them you know Spore's power is to enhance people's emotions and then Rory's on the mood stabilizers but they still seem to be influencing each other so you have that exchange between the characters kind of evoked by the 
laser grid that ties them together. And I thought that that was visually quite well right. done. I mean, despite the fact that Rory is annoying and I don't care about him in this book, I did find these two pages quite well done as well, comic book to pages. Me the, the, I guess the laser grid, really the way I looked at it, was as a spider web. So that as mm. one person does something, you feel it in the rest of the web, right? Mm-hmm, that, that That's mm-hmm. how. Mm. So And that Rory thinks he's the spider, but... He's not. Yes. Yes. And we see that happening on the second page that Rory's on where the laser grid changes. So it's very sort of light, thin stripes across Rory in the first panel, thick across Spore, thicker across Rory, and they're kind of equivalent in the middle. And then it's the thicker lines across Rory when he starts to get angry and Spore starts to retreat. He gets like the thinner lines. So we have a a symmetrical exchange of the way that the lasers are affecting them. And, you know, specifically crossing over someone's Mm -hmm. face, right? Which, you know, is a particular effect, you know, both evokes the claustrophobia of that but it also evokes you know the lasers responding to them so again it's a really well done page i enjoyed i enjoyed the page even though i don't care about rory but i like that about the spider web that makes a lot of sense i just like god the first part of it where he's just like the little panel where he's like holds the pill and he's like i'm on mood stabilizers i'm invincible and i'm like what What could go wrong right uh-huh. <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. Not much confidence in mood stabilizers <laughs> to save your life in any circumstances. It's just a particular I don't Check know. Check off mood is. stabilizers. I don't know. Maybe we should go to some some final thoughts and bring up stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about because I think there's probably like some little moments from throughout this comic that we could circle back to because there's lots of them that we didn't talk about. Oh, we didn't talk about the the Megan thing. I mean, I'll come to you with it, Andrew. How are you feeling about this <laughs> new Megan and her new powers of recognizing patterns because she's connected to nature? There was a lot of exposition here. I don't know how I felt about it. How are you feeling about it? I feel like every issue at this point is just a backdoor pilot for a new Megan. Like, mm. just just test it out. Give her a new power set. Give her a new look. Give her a completely new personality. And, and like, this has kind of been the trend with Ellis. He's 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 backburnered literally all of Excalibur except for Kitty because he wants to do his Pete Wisdom and Kitty Pride story. And like, I get that. That's cool, but I kind of like some of the characters in Excalibur, and I wish we could get to see more of them. So it makes me sad, um, and I think it just it, it's really reflective of the fact that this is a character he really doesn't have a good handle on and doesn't kind of know what to do with. But I do like some of the stuff he's doing with Amanda um, in contrast to that, so I, I feel like it's kind of just a situation where he's just going where he wants to go. Um, and, and again, as Mav always reminds us, you know, it, it's a new writer with his own creative vision, so you kind of got to be open to that. Well, what do you like specifically about what he's doing with Amanda, just before we move past that? Well, he's catering some of the... Um, um, character's backstory and relationships. He's developing her as a bit of a screw up, even though that might have been editorially um, um, inflected. He is doing this thing where he's got this relationship with Kurt that is casual on the surface, but he's starting to develop it as her having an intense romantic interest in Kurt. He's bringing a character who has been um, a side character forever into superherodom quite directly. Mm. So it just seems like there's more cultivation happening there. And I agree it's not perfectly consistent, but I, I like that he is playing with her. As I said, I, I do really like Amanda as a, as a longstanding character who never really got um developed the way that she seemed to be being set up for. Yeah, it's funny. It's hard sometimes for me to conceive of these things in the history in which they originally existed, because, you know, obviously we know all the future comics and we know all the stuff that happens, but like, yeah, totally. Like Amanda hadn't really been, well, I mean, other than, you know, uh, the Battle of Muir Island or whatever, she hadn't been 
acting as a superhero in comics prior to this. Like, there'd been some times in Uncanny where she would, like, help Kurt out with something a little bit. But this is a dramatic change for her to just be, like, a superhero in a superhero costume doing superhero stuff on a superhero team. And I guess it's important that we emphasize that and not just step past that. So that's a good point. Still on that thing, though, the contrast with Megan, where I think you can see that he is trying to develop Amanda, is one of Megan's most defining character tropes is that she's functionally illiterate and just not anymore just in, in a throwaway line it's just like she she can read at the she can read at an appropriate level for her age right now and she's like 20 mm. so you know she's like, it's like oh yeah i just you know, i taught her to read which by the way you know great of doug lock to take that time but also hey brian why didn't you teach her to read if it was apparently not that difficult, you know? <laughs> I mean, I get, and I get that Doug Lock's like a computer a person. So, you know, maybe he's got, I don't know, hooked on phonics, like running in, in his system or something. I don't know, but he's, but he's literally like, yeah, you know, I've just been working with her. She can read now. We're good. Also that whole thing where she was weird. We're just, we're over that now. She's just like, like that whole thing where she was much like Brian just got better from being spacey, weird, Brian. Megan's just better now. I'm not going to worry about it as, as the pitch meeting YouTube show says, super easy, barely an inconvenience, just she's fine now. Yeah, I mean, we've moved so far away from who this character was, like a character defined by emotional empathy and all of the gender stuff that that was doing. And now I think she's just like an elemental elf lady, <laughs> yeah. I think is who she is now. And I'm like, I guess. I mean, she looks the part, but boy, this Winnier. is not the same character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like her shape shifting, being tied to empathy and all that stuff really doesn't seem relevant anymore. And uh, it, it is odd. It is one of those moments where you can step back and be like, how did we get here again? I'm like, oh, right, we just got here from a bunch of character neglect. And like, to his credit, you know, Ellis is trying to do something with the character and he has to do something because we have moved so far past what that character used to be. So I don't know. We're going to see her story continue. Let's just well, put that's it that just, way. That's just comics um, for in you. Various right? ways. That, you know, as soon as you get a it new is. writer or a new team, yeah. hey, I want to do blank. Okay, that makes zero sense for the character. Yeah, but that's just what I've always wanted to do. So just like we always get the, you know, bold new direction you know, all caps. Like this better than her last direction, which I didn't yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, it's, yes, she is not the character that Chris Claremont was writing. That was five writers ago. <laughs> so, I know, I know. So, yeah. okay, it's gone. He's not coming back. Because Davis was three writers of record ago. You just got to let it go, I guess. We're trying. We'll try to, we'll try to learn to love this new Megan yeah. as she evolves. But, um... <laughs> All right, let's do the final thoughts. Coming to you first, Mav, was there something you wanted to circle back to or something that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you would like us to talk about? I mentioned it's a two-parter, but they're all they're in the same section, so I'll do them at the same time. I hate this mask on Kitty's costume. I've talked about how, um, on previous episodes, how this is actually maybe my favorite kitty costume i i know a lot of people don't like the yellow and blue I, I people complain about it all the time because it's not unique enough for her but i love this outfit for kitty because it very much i think i said before it represents for me that she is accepted that she is an x-man that is a major part of her identity as much as she always wanted as a little girl she always wanted to you know, I've got to make my own costume. I'm going to be Ariel. I'm going to be Sprite. I'm going to be Shadowcat. I'm going to build stuff out of spare parts. And suddenly she grows up. And what does she do? She does the exact same thing as Scott Summers. She basically makes her own variation <laughs> on the on the costume that Charles Xavier did. So I've I love that about her. I don't love the mask. It looks stupid, and she should know that. <laughs> and she and and it, and it, it 
it doesn't work. It doesn't work because this is the era where she stops even having the pretense of being called Shadowcat. Her name mm -hmm. is Kitty Pride. When when her and Wisdom get a get a side project comic, it's going to be called Pride and Wisdom, not Shadowcat and Wisdom. You know, she when she joins Shield, it's going to be Kitty Pride, Agent of Shield. She's just she's not a superhero name person. So why is she trying to even pretend to hide her identity? And that breaks it for me because I want this to be representative as a costume in the same way Anna uh, and Andrew were talking about how powers can represent a relationship I feel costume helps to establish identity and her identity needs to be I'm Kitty Pride. I was born for this and my job is to be an X-Man that's who she's been for for quite a while and the mask kind of gets in the way for that in that same section where I see the mask not working for for me there's several things where she's running around with Pete and we've talked about how Pete hates using his powers and I've not had a chance to mention it before his powers are that he can project hot knives and I get why he thinks that's dangerous and why he's freaked out by it what is his power his power is that he shoots energy just like a billion other people in the Marvel Universe it's not special like he only calls them knives but he's mostly just kind of shooting lasers from his fingers and you know <laughs> <laughs> like like I get that they're dangerous sure I would like to introduce you to Havoc, dude, because, you know, like, get a grip with yourself, right? Like, like it, it's a thing. People can do that in this universe. And, like, if you don't want to be running around with deadly shooting powers, then I get it. Don't shoot at people. But, like, it's weird that Ellis keeps trying to make hot knives happen, and it's not <laughs> happening for me. It's like, a oh, it's this, this dangerous, this dangerous hot knives power. And I'm like, eh, half the other people in this universe can do this. And I, it's not that impressive. So, so that's where I'm at with him. Yeah, I get it on a human level that if you could do this, you would be freaked out by it and maybe you wouldn't want to use it. And Pete doesn't want to be a superhero. So he's resistant to it on that level. But in the context of this universe, you kind of need a better explanation because yeah. this isn't our universe. <laughs> this is like a no, different universe right. where, again, that's not normal. So it is a bit of a disconnect for me. Yeah, it's like 10% of the population, you know, has mm -hmm. energy projection powers. So, you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Andrew, anything you want to bring up or circle back to? Yeah, I, I want to be puerile about the cover because first off, there's a weird Please. coloring. That was going to be my thought. So no, no, get us started. Just, no, no, that, that, that's very much your jam. I will just point out that the, the colorist error of making Amanda's cape blue, uh, the exact shade of Kurt is very interesting. But that's not the thing I really want to talk about. But now I, I would much, much rather hear you talk about it. Well, you can't leave me in suspense. What were you going to say? Talk about yeah. the tail. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Amanda is very aggressively desirous of Kurt on this cover. Yeah. I mean, sometimes female characters in the context of Kisses take a passive pose. And she's very active here. Not only is she aggressively reaching for the tail. <laughs> But like she's pulling his uniform down towards her. She is very aggressive in the context of this kiss. And I do find that interesting in terms of the history of this character and what she means to me kind of in relationship with Nightcrawler. I mean, we've talked, I've talked many, many times about the Uncanny 168, you know, Kurt doing the Burt Reynolds thing and Amanda comes into the room and is right. exercising that active desire and saying yum and she's going to consume Kurt. And I think for me, just from that starting point of the characters, that's always been something that interested me about her. Like, she's just super into Nightcrawler. And this is a defining characteristic of Amanda <laughs> Sefton. And I mean... <laughs> 
that's not a character trait, except for in the context of this world where it is unusual for monstrous characters to be sexy, and it's already unusual for female characters to get to really actively express sexual agency. That's interesting. And I mean, I'm putting a lot there to make that work, but still, I did like seeing that here, and I did like seeing her exercise that agency on this cover. It's part of what makes this cover work for me, definitely. I mean, the tail grab, it's so intentional and it's so blatant. I mean, like, mm -hmm. he didn't have to do that, but it's very clear that that's what's happening. Yeah, and that that's, that's part of the erotic experience for Amanda. Yes. She is, she is drawn yes. to the tail, you know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's not a monstrous thing that she has to get over. There, there's a play there that I really like, and a tail is drawn longer than it has ever been drawn, uh, and it's dancing <laughs> at the top. And I mean... This is like what makes me want to like their relationship because she's someone that's known him his whole life and she's not intimidated by him being different. She's somebody who perceives his difference as normal much the way Kurt perceives his difference as normal. And again, that's complicated and messed up by the foster sibling aspect. But if I do my headcanoning of it with like, you know, they grow up in a communal living situation. They just know each other. It is what it is. It's maybe a little bit weird, but like, you're not going to go to jail for it, okay? It's not that bad. Like... <laughs> I don't know. I like that aspect of them where like they know each other better than anybody else does because there's stuff about Kurt's backstory that Amanda's the only one who knows because mm -hmm. he doesn't tell people these things. I mean, Logan saw a little bit of it when they went to the circus that time, you know, in the Marvel Comics Presents issues, but he defiantly did not let Kitty go with him. You know, mm -hmm. Amanda is the keeper mm -hmm. of so many of Kurt's secrets and that's obviously going to make me interested in this relationship and... Yeah, I don't know. There's so much untold there in, in terms of their relationship and their history with each other. I, I think when you when you talk about how she is desirous and she sees him as normal, I think that's important. I think in the era that we're reading, Kurt is still viewed as a monster in ways not and less so than he was, say, in the 70s. Like it doesn't come up that much anymore. But when he's around normal people, it does come up on occasion. In the modern era of of x-men there's just so many more visually mutated characters that you sort of get that there are people in the world who don't see physical beauty as skin color just because you know it, it's it's just too weird right like it's too there's there's people with bird heads you know like beak and everybody's like oh he's so hot you know so or dupe who has no <laughs> barely has a body so like I, I i get that he's i i like that she sees him for what he is and likes him and if your headcanon is right about their open relationship, which I tend to also subscribe to, I it, it's almost a shame that we don't see her more now because the code era would have prohibited that. And I actually think that's a functionally interesting queerness to their relationship that I think is ripe for story potential. And we just don't get it. That's kind of why I think Amanda becomes interesting because I think Ellis wants to do something interesting with her. I think Kurt gives the potential for something interesting to happen with them as a couple and knowing where things go it never quite gets there you know and not here and not in the 30 years since yeah i mean the best that it's been handled was in the roberto aguirre sacasa miniseries where he goes to visit her in limbo and they're kind of like <laughs> flirting over wine and being like are we siblings or lovers or what was that? And yeah, <laughs> handled handled kind of deftly there the, in ways that worked well, for me. Well, 
And I talked about I talked about their relationship a lot on Simply Amazing when I was a guest on that. And my problem with that is that should never be a realistically, that's not a question they would ever have. That's not a conversation yeah, yeah, they yeah. would have because in order for it to work, they need to not consider it weird. Like yeah. they're they're asking that question for the audience, and for that's the audience, too much. Yeah. Lamp, it's too much lampshading, right? Like so, what mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what makes this what makes this work is I un I understand why people who are weirded out by the incestuous nature of it are weirded out, but what makes it work is they don't see them each other as siblings. The fact that they both see the same character as a mother figure is incidental. It's not it's not transitive, and that's important. And it's important that they don't recognize it if you want to do it you have somebody else recognize it you have you have bobby bobby drake can notice that and question it because bobby drake mm -hmm, has no filter mm -hmm. and he's a, and he says yeah. stuff like that all the time <laughs> yeah. but like but, but kurt and amanda can't say it because it doesn't mm -hmm. work then it becomes them seeing their relationship as wrong and i don't want that and it doesn't work functionally with the way they like if they i mean I, I think there's there's something where you could do it hey we're drawn to each other even though we know it's wrong but oh, they their relationship but their relationship has never been portrayed that way by mm -hmm. anybody so therefore you sort of you, you sort of don't it doesn't work for them to even notice like what what should happen is they should go wait what no she's not my sister she's my girlfriend what are you, yeah, what are you yeah, talking about that's the relationship that's the that's the reaction he needs and he needs to be incredulous that someone would even no that's gross why would you think that like that's more what i want, want to see from him yeah i think what i was drawn to more from that other series was just the i don't know because you brought up the uh, symbolic queerness of the relationship and i mean there is this thing where she's the ruler of limbo and he could just teleport down there and they can hang out in this hell dimension sometimes and it's not a big deal and sort of the bigness and weirdness of their lives and how that weirdness is normal for the two of them that's a fun dynamic mm -hmm. and i think that's sort of what i was responding to there but yeah you're absolutely right i just 100 percent with everything you just said there you are completely right um nicole my thought was going to be the cover so i'm coming to you for your final thoughts about this one any moments you want to talk about or any dynamics I'm, you want I'm to circle back to a little bit surprised that uh that no one yet brought up the spanking oh wait what this are we was talking immediately about? after uh you know right before they're sneaking in and he's all oh she's 10 years younger than i am and i you know so she couldn't be interested and he's all oh she he's 10 years older than i am and you know but i you know it's safer to be on your own no one else gets hurt he's thinking and then he says okay i'm telling you now you follow my lead you do as i say or else you get a spanking clear oh and I'm she responds <laughs> yeah. yes boss Pause. Right before then, she <laughs> says, now hold on tight and I'll phase us, right? So mm. I, I'm like, okay, so they're apparently making a big deal out of the 10-year age difference, which, okay, I mean, it's only 10 mm. years. And it's barely mentioned ever again. Like, <laughs> like, Okay, it's not like it's 30 years, for God's sakes. And no. immediately after that, he's going to spank her like she's a child, you know, mm -hmm. like, really? Mm. Okay. <laughs> and and of course, it That's doesn't bother something. her at all. She just completely ignores it, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I guess part of how she is getting taken in by the bad boy. I mean, I can buy it. Like if I'm going to massage it as like, well, they're just performing these roles and right. making a joke out of it. It just, but like, it yeah, stuck, it's it stuck out to me 
as, okay, how many pages ago were you thinking about her as a nosy cow? And now you're, mm-hmm. you're pining for her if only she was interested in you. But no, and mm-hmm. you make quips about spanking her. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I understand it's just part of the whole <laughs> shift in tone and trying to make them seem more playful with each other. It's just, like I said, I was just a little surprised that it hadn't come up before. <laughs> There was so much to talk about. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I'm going to spotlight part of a letter. All of the letters recently have been about AOA Nightcrawler, Kurt Darkholm, um, and this letter column is is no exception. So this is Jason Stewart's thoughts about... Kurt Darkholm. First, let me say that I hope old Kurt will return, but I love what you've done in exploring possible recreations. Not only have you changed Kurt Darkholm's outlook on life, but his entire mind as well. No longer do we have the jovial musketeer who sees a battle with an enemy as a chance to try his swashbuckling skills, but the new darker Kurt who decides to finish his arguments as quickly and ruthlessly as possible. No longer do we have a Kurt devoted to his faith in Xavier's dream, wondering what his mother thinks of him. Now there is a Kurt who believes in nothing but his own survival, following Magneto's wishes and looking for his loving mother. Even his powers of darkness have advanced, hiding in the shadows till he can strike with surprise. All of this means one thing. Nightcrawler has a new attitude, one devoid of emotion and self-doubt, but despite all the changes, is still the lover, the fighter, the leader that we all love. Once again, I must congratulate you all on an outstanding issue. Keep up the excellent work. Just make sure our Mr. Wagner returns in four months. Consider us even, John Constantine. (laughs) Constantine. Is it? I don't care. Okay, we will wrap things up there. Other than to say, Nicole, thank you so dearly for joining us. Before we go, we must remind our lovely listeners of what you get up to and where people can find you. If you would like folks to find you online, where can they find you? And is there any writing or project or other recent podcast appearances you would like to Um, shout out? I am on Twitter as, you know, aspiring polymath, but uh, nfrime on Twitter. Uh, I recently guested on uh your lovely co-host Mavs Vox podcast we did Yay. we did the uh the pour some gritty on it episode and what was <laughs> what was the other one we did like two right in a row uh you were on pour some edgy on it and the week before that you were on eating the rich that was it. yes yes So uh, so yes, check out Vox Vox Popcast. Yeah, we will link those two episodes in our show notes and retweet them out. Uh, Thank you so, so, so much again, Nicole, for for spending some time in the Pete Wisdom era with us. Happy to. Glad to be here. Next, we will be covering Excalibur number 90, Blood Eagle, a double-sized spectacular with a double-sized helping of pride and wisdom, if you're into that sort of thing. We'll have with this a much-anticipated guest who is into that kind of thing, or at least was at one point in her life, and we will certainly have lots to talk about. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, plus our holiday specials. You can find those via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pictures of the guest or a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter, at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Matt, for another extraterrestrial convo. Thank you, Nicole, for searching out the truth with us. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. That's it. Yep. Okay, so I can go.